All right, this whole series is about being inspired by the good news of grace to live a good life of grace. As we study Romans chapters 12 through 14, we are on quite a journey together, and we are taking this journey in quite a moment for the United States of America. I mean, every election season is critically important, not only for our own country, but really for the trajectory of, of the world and civilization. I mean, I am not overstating the importance of a presidential election here in the United States. And as you're here this morning, some of you may be elated. You're very happy right now. Some of you may be very sad or depressed or angry right now. Uh, others of you are just hoping for a season of peace. With all this uh, 2020 mess of pandemics and racial tensions and political tensions, you're just hoping kind of whoever is in there is going to bring a season of peace. So as you know, the election is called. The legal battles will continue, and that's not the first time that there will be ongoing legal battles, and it's certainly not the last time. But in all of this, passions have been running very, very high. Passions are running high. People on both sides of the political spectrum have been more inspired this election than I have ever experienced it. Now, every election season is intense. Every election season, we always say it's the most important election in our lifetimes. Um, it's the most important election since the last important election. But uh, passions this time have really run at a fever pitch. And people were inspired to vote. People were inspired to vote by a long shot, the most votes in American history. In fact, the second most votes ever given to a president in American history were, were the votes given to President Trump, not even the winner of this election. And so it's amazing how people were inspired to show up. They were inspired to vote. Now, whether you agree or disagree with Donald Trump or like or dislike Donald Trump, uh, he inspired millions of people to follow him and his cause and to show up to vote. On the other hand, it's quite clear that in our deeply polarized nation, millions of people were inspired to vote against Donald Trump. They might have even agreed with the policies, but couldn't kind of handle his, his way about him. And, and so they were inspired to vote against him. There were also millions of people inspired to vote for Biden and Harris because of that unique story, maybe thinking that this is what America needs right now, somebody who's got a story of kind of loss and empathy and somebody who has a story like Harris of, of, of being the first woman elected to this position and her multi-ethnic background. There's just so much about their stories that a lot of people were inspired by and voted for. And others were clearly inspired to keep our government divided. Um, I don't know if it's a record number, but a lot of people voted one way for president and a different way for Senate or Congress because there's this thought that if we can keep our government divided, we're not going to go wholly in this direction or wholly in this direction, and those kinds of things can, can, can breed sort of fear and apprehension in people, right? So let's keep our government accountable by keeping it split. And one thing is very, very clear after this election season is that America is purple. America is purple. We are Barney purple, right? We are half red, half blue. And if you just look at, at, at where all the votes fall and you blur your eyes a little bit, America is purple. We are right at 50-50 political. Politically. And America seems to prefer that. America kind of prefers that split government, keeping each other accountable, not going fully any direction. Now, as we perhaps slowly emerge from this political season, I think it's important for us to ask this question. Is there anything that can inspire our purple country to unite? Just answer that in your own soul here. Is there anything that can inspire our purple country to unite? 
Now, the first sort of emotional response would be, nope, nope, <laughs> it's not gonna happen. We have been further dividing and increasingly angry and increasingly accusatory and believing the worst in each other and assuming the worst uh, going forward that, that we do not see this thing turning into unity. And I would completely understand that. However, I continue to be an optimist, maybe a little bit idealist, maybe a Pollyanna-ist. There is a human spirit in each of us, right? That human spirit that is deeper than the political divisions and racial divisions and pandemic divisions. There's a human spirit there that if we can get to that level, right? If we can relate with each other, person to person, human to human, as opposed to eyeing each other up by politics and, and race and religion and, and pandemic views and all that stuff, if we can get to the human spirit stuff, there is hope there. And I've seen it happen time and time and time again. You get two human beings who seem like polar opposites in, in, in every imaginable way. You get them into rooms together, sharing their stories together, building friendships together, even though they fiercely continue to disagree Friendship emerges, unity emerges, and good things happen. That is possible. We just have to stop our addiction to politics and our addiction to news media and our addiction to tribal camps and our addiction to accusing each other and believing the worst. That's an addiction. I mean, I think truly it's a clinical addiction, and there's got to be a recovery path to get from that addiction to the human-to-human -human interaction and relationships, right? And what we call that in Christian circles and in Judaic circles is the image of God. That human spirit is the image of God. And we see that in Genesis 127, very famously, God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. This is such a beautiful image of, of God expressing himself through us, through human beings. We are the expression of God. Not just the red people, not just the blue people. We are all expressions of God. No matter our religious affiliations, our backgrounds, we are all expressions of God. And if that's the lens through which we view life and view other people, even those we vehemently disagree with, a human spirit of unity is possible. It's possible. This doctrine is called Imago Dei. It's Latin for the image of God. And it's a, a doctrine, a biblical doctrine that we need to grab a hold of and white knuckle cling tight to this thing, especially in times like this. Here's a, a definition of Imago Dei theology. It holds that every one of us, no matter our ethnicity, gender, social or economic status, ability or disability, believer or unbeliever, are all made in the image of our loving, benevolent creator and as such are compelled to love all people as expressions of God himself. I'll just reread that last sentence. If we, if we understand and believe this doctrine of Imago Dei and we believe that every single person is made in the image of God, we are compelled to love all people as expressions of God himself. The red people can love the blue people. The blue people can love the red people and everything in between, all religious backgrounds, Every bit of diversity that exists on the earth, every time we engage with another human being, even online, imagine this, even online, we treat people like human beings. Can you imagine the world? Even the invisible person we're about to slam online is made in the image of God, is an expression of God. How would that change life in America? I'm going to encourage us to think purple. 
think purple, not just in terms of the United States, but in terms of what Jesus is doing through his ministry, through the kingdom of heaven, through the church, through Rancho, through your lives, through your families. I want us to encourage us to think purple. Now, before we get too far on this, I want to absolutely clearly um, tell you that I'm not talking about becoming wishy-washy. I'm not talking about red people becoming more blue. I'm not talking about blue people becoming more red. I'm talking about embracing the, the mix, right? Embracing the mix. So keep your political convictions because I know you have those convictions because you believe it's good for society around you. Same thing with religious convictions. We're not talking about avoiding religious or political convictions. Those are important. They make up a lot of who we are. It's how we hold those religious and political convictions and how we treat one another with different religious and political convictions. That's the key. That's thinking purple, right? Now, if we think purple, let's talk about the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus initiated a purple movement. And I'm just using purple beyond American political terms. I'm just talking about, you know, kind of diversity and a unified community in the midst of diversity. Jesus initiated a purple movement. Well, what do you mean by that? The movement Jesus created, and we detailed this a few months ago. I'm sure you remember every word of it. Jesus initiated a diverse community of friends, right? He, he invited people of all kinds of political and religious factions to follow him. And I'll just give you a couple of examples here. Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. He was the make Israel great again guy. He was a zealot for Israel. Israel had been a, uh, you know, a, a big power in the region, and now they had been invaded by four different countries. They were now this kind of small, powerless, disrespected, barely a nation, right, during the time of Jesus. And the zealots, the zealot political faction, wanted to defeat Rome by force so that Israel can expand its borders and expand its kingdom and put a king on the throne, right? That's the zealot. They wanted to make Israel great again. So call them the conservatives. Jesus also invited Matthew, a publican. He was a globalist liberal. He was paid by the Romans. He was paid by the invading Romans to take taxes from the invaded Jews. So he was like, hey, can we just all get along, right? And, and just uh, the whole world, let's just kind of be pragmatic here, right? So there was the conservative zealot and the liberal publican and the core disciple crew of Jesus. Jesus initiated a purple movement. And the reason why he did that is because the kingdom of heaven itself is purple. When we think of, of the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about the reality that God wants to move forward on the earth, the new reality that God wants to move forward. And it is a purple movement. It includes everybody. In fact, in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus is talking about the new kingdom. And this is the resurrected Jesus, right? He's now got the authority over death itself. He has all the authority of heaven. And he kind of brags about it a little bit. He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So with all the authority of heaven and earth that I now possess as the resurrected King of King and Lord of Lords, I'm giving you the job description, my church, the job description to move forward the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. And keep in mind, the only disciples of Jesus at this time were Jewish. They only thought in Jewish terms. They only thought of themselves. And then even more, you know, kind of granular than that, they only thought of their own political sect. You know, the, the Jews, the Essenes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the, the lawyers, they all, they, uh, they all had their specific political agenda. So they only thought not only of their own nation, but their own sect, their own political party, you could say. 
And Jesus was breaking all those barriers. My disciples are going to include every political party from the Jews. But then he says after his resurrection, this kingdom is going to include every nation beyond the Jews. They could not get their head around that. They only thought God was interested in them. That's it. Everybody else was just completely uh, abandoned by God, judged by God. But Jesus says, no, this kingdom of heaven includes everyone. This kingdom of heaven is purple. And then if you read the book of Acts, which starts again with this great commission about being witnesses to all tribes, tongues, and nations to the ends of the earth, then you see in the book of Acts, the Jews are welcomed in in Acts 1. Then the Gentiles are welcomed in in Acts 2. Then the sick are welcomed in to the kingdom of heaven in Acts 3. And then the poor are welcomed in in Acts 4. Then the rich are welcomed in in Acts 4. Then the Africans are welcomed in in Acts 8. And then the Samaritans are welcomed in in Acts 8. Then the sexually labeled unclean are welcomed in in Acts 8. The sorcerer is welcomed in in Acts 8. This one working by the power of demons is welcomed into the kingdom of heaven in Acts 8. And then even the one who was murdering Christians welcomed in in Acts 9. That's the Apostle Paul who then wrote half of the New Testament. Then the Roman invader is welcomed in in Acts chapter 10. And then all nations are welcomed in in Acts chapter 13 through 28. That's the kingdom of heaven. It's everybody, everywhere, always welcomed in to enjoy the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And through Christ, we are forgiven. Through Christ, we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God and we don't have to work to earn anything from him, we can be at peace with each other and we can be peacemakers and we can really live out this purple kingdom of heaven. And the biblical vision for the church is purple as well. You look at the book of Revelation, which is essentially the imagery of what the church is to be. And there's imagery of the church all throughout Revelation. Revelation 5, 9, they sang a new song. You redeemed for God people from every tribe and every language and every nation. The church is to be purple, diverse, diverse community of friends in unity together, each with our differing opinions. It's not about laying our opinions aside or not having convictions, but we hold those graciously. We hold those humbly and we're together making friends and sharpening each other. We are better because we're different. We're better because we're different. And that is honestly what Rancho is trying to do. And sometimes it works great and sometimes it doesn't work (laughs) spectacularly. Rancho is striving to be that purple church. And I'm telling you, it's the greatest challenge of this beautiful family of faith is to keep and maintain a diverse, quote, purple congregation. It is so difficult. It is... It was difficult before election year, before pandemic, before racial tensions just hit a fever pitch. It's, it's difficult always to maintain a diverse family of faith. I mean, just think of Thanksgiving dinner where two people don't agree politically at one Thanksgiving dinner. Now try a church community where you're together every week and you're, you've got hundreds of ministries and you've got small groups everywhere and, and everybody's in each other's children's ministries and youth ministries and, and, and then we disagree. Our, Religious convictions are different. Theological convictions are different. Political positions are different. And now throw the pandemic in there and you can't even meet together the way you used to. So you can't even talk it out. All you're doing is trading social media streams and comments. It is hard. It is hard. And so what we're trying to do, you could call it almost the impossible, is trying to practice this purple church being a diverse community of friends, every ethnic background welcome, every faith background welcome. And if you just heard the stories of the faith journeys that people have to get here, I mean, it'll make your head spin. There are just some, some radically 
terrible stories of religious backgrounds, but then also some wonderful diverse stories of religious backgrounds, and we're all here together. Rich and poor, sinner and saint, sick and healthy, young and old, Republicans and Democrats, all welcomed at Rancho. Wide open doors, unified, come in, receive the grace of God, treat each other graciously, believe the best in each other, even in our differences, and let's go do something fantastic together. Let's start a farm to feed people. Let's start a rescue mission, right? Let's start a school overseas. Let's support dozens and dozens of ministries and send people, mobilize people all over the world, particularly our youth, so that when they graduate as high school students here at Rancho, whether they're in youth group or the school, they have a portfolio of experiences where they were serving people locally and globally, and they are ready to lead in a Christ-like way that changes the world. I mean, let's do that together. Can a, can a blue guy and a red girl do that together? 100%. We just have to, to believe that that's the better way, that unity in the midst of diversity is the better way, and that's what the entire book of Romans is about, unity in the midst of diversity. These are Jews and Romans trying to figure out how to be one family of faith, and it's the inspiration behind that vision that is what Romans is all about. Christianity today is, is detailing a lot of church life in America uh, during the pandemic and during the elections. Um, if, you're, if you like to kind of read about this stuff, I would encourage you to subscribe to Christianity Today. I, I, I'm not getting paid to say that, but um, subscribe. It's good. It's very, very thoughtful and culturally relevant. And so they've done a lot of work on what it's like to, to operate church in this environment in 2020. And here's a few quotes from some of the articles. The problem is not that people in the church disagree about who to vote for. The problem is not that people get angry and shoot fiery emails to the pastor. That happens on a regular basis. It's not that they get into bruising fights with church members on Facebook, which is ludicrous out there. And really the problem is not even that some things are suddenly intensely political. So the problem is not that there's disagreements in the church that sometimes get out of hand. That's not really the problem right now. Here's the real problem. The problem is that people, Christians, are now not fighting anymore because they are parting ways. That's what's happening right now. It's because everything's so intense, everything's so divided, everything's either red or blue, every single social cultural issue is looked through that intensely political lens, we feel like I can't be a part of that. This phrase offended me, I'm out. This person said this, I'm out. This church member looked at me sideways, I'm out. And we're, we're separating now. So, so yes, being a part of a church where there's disagreements is good and healthy if we hold our disagreements right and humbly and graciously. Then there's a dysfunctional church that's still together, but they're fighting you know, really in a way that's, that's not becoming. What's even worse is they're not fighting at all because they're now gone. Because the idea of a diverse family of faith is so offensive, I can't even be here. You hint something red, the blue is out. You hint something blue, the red is out. That is the challenge. That is the challenge. So unity now in Christianity, Western Christianity, is defined as political agreement to the point where now there's either blue churches, and you know who they are, and the red churches, and you know who they are, and, and that's what we have split into, the blue churches and the red churches. And that is not at all the vision of the kingdom of heaven. That's not at all the, the example that Jesus set. That's not at all the biblical teaching about what a church should and could be, this purple coming together with our convictions, but we hold those convictions humbly 
and we engage each other graciously. And then in unity, we advance the cause of Christ. So this is the picture from Christianity today. It's just, you know, churchgoers doing their thing, but blue and red are separate. You're not really engaging each other. The church has trouble being purple. And so in 2020, there is a schism that has radically further divided the church into blue camps and red camps. We can do better. Because if at the end of this 2020, you know, kind of nightmare, all we have is, well, there's the liberal churches and there's the conservative churches, we're not going to be advancing the cause of Christ. Because the cause of Christ advances when we are the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is diverse, right? This is the grand illustration from Scripture. You need the eye, the ear, you need the foot, you need the hand. If there's just a pile of hands over there and a pile of toes over there and a pile of ears over there, nothing is going to get done. You're just going to cluster in your sameness, and you're going to pat each other on the back, and you're going to hate the same people and do nothing. That's, just, that's, the, that's the direction that the church is headed, and it is a sad, sad direction. And so the book of Romans is written to unite us around a message and inspire us to a life of action, inspire us to a life of unity. That's what Romans is all about. So we started with the good news of grace that unites and inspires. It's that good news of grace that unites and inspires. And so the theme verse of Romans is Romans 3.23, that all have sinned equally, the religious, the irreligious, right? Everybody, the Jew, the Gentile, every race, every tribe, every tongue, every background, every gender, equally falls short of God's perfection. So let's be humble about that, right? None of us can judge another person. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God, yet we are all made right by God freely, by his grace, through the forgiveness that came by Christ Jesus. It's all about God's work of grace just given to us. Here you go, and when we believe it, we live in that peace of God, and we live in the love of God. We live in the grace of God. That's the message That inspires us. And that message is not only for us, but it's towards the vision of an entire world united by grace. Romans 10, we are all the same. We all have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, everywhere. Doors are open. Welcome. We're going to show you the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and we're going to treat you graciously. And we are going to unite together as a family of faith. And yes, we are diverse. There's red Christians and blue Christians. There's four, you know, uh, libertarian Christians and three Green Party Christians. So you got to include them as well. But you you have this vision of a diverse community together being gracious. And why are we gracious to each other? Because God's gracious to us. Why Why are we united with each other? Because God united him to us, himself to us. We are just living out what God gave to us. It is that simple. There's that inspiring message. But now the good news of grace inspires us to live a good life of grace. That's what Romans 12 through 14 is about. By that message of grace, we're now inspired to live a good life of grace. And and what is a life of grace? What's a good life of grace? There's just a couple quick things in Romans 12. First, a life of good grace is inspired to sacrifice. An inspired life is sacrificial. An inspired life is sacrificial. That's why the the message of Jesus and the model of Jesus is so important. Jesus lived a life of sacrifice. He's the fullness of deity, the throne of heaven, the creator of all things. And yet he gave and he gave and he gave, even to the point of his life on a cross. The life of Christ is a life of sacrifice. That good life of grace is a life of sacrifice. And that's, that's not the easiest thing in the world to talk about because it's not 
doesn't sound like a lot of fun, right? That, oh, good, I get to sacrifice my life, right? But that's, the, that's what it means to follow Jesus. We follow Jesus who went to the cross and then through the cross brings a whole new world. And so for us to follow Jesus means we also die to ourselves and live for the glory of God and the benefit of others, right? That's what it means to follow Jesus. So Romans 12:1 starts this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So true and proper worship isn't about all of the, you know, kind of accoutrements of religious life. And so in, in Jewish culture, their religious life was about all of the proper ceremonies and sacrifices. And so, you know, they would sacrifice a dove. They would sacrifice a lamb. They would sacrifice a bull, thinking God wants, you know, a blood sacrifice to, to show that we are giving to him, right? Uh, or, you know, God wants me to be a part of these religious ceremonies on the Sabbath and the feasts and the festivals. They thought that's what God wanted. And God makes it very clear. In fact, Always, God has made it clear, particularly Isaiah 1.11, I don't delight in your sacrifices. I don't delight in your blood sacrifices. It doesn't impress me that you kill animals and burn them to me. That does not impress me. It does not impress me that you're involved in all these religious ceremonies. That does not impress me. God says, what I want, really want, is for you to understand my love for you, understand my grace towards you, and to live a gracious life. But that involves a sacrifice. And that sacrifice simply is this. We're living sacrifices, right? That means I don't live for myself. I'm dying to myself. Galatians says I'm crucified with Christ. I don't live for myself. That's the goal, right? That's all of our goals. Uh, to follow Jesus means I don't live for myself. My life is not about me. I'm going, to, I'm going to consider my life dead so that I can be raised to a new life that lives for the glory of God and the benefit of other people. That's an inspired life. That's a life inspired by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to follow that inspiring life. And I'm going to die to self and be resurrected to live for the glory of God and the benefit of others. In my home, in my community, with my friends, at my work, in my church, in my community, in the nation, I'm going to live for the glory of God and the benefit of others because I am dead. That's an inspired life. An inspired life is sacrificial. An inspired life is also humble. An inspired life is also humble. So Romans 12 goes on in verse 3 to say this. Don't think you are better than you really are. <laughs> Plain language. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Measure yourself by the faith God has given us. So, so this humility is so difficult, especially when you're perfect in every way, as the song goes, right? Now, a lot of people struggle with pride. Um, our opinions are the right opinions. Uh, the, this doctrine is the true doctrine. I believe in the true doctrine. Um, this is what the Bible says. I believe it. Well, what you're really saying is this is what I think the Bible says, and I'm really holding on to what I believe, and I'm going to say that what I believe is what God wants me to believe. There's an arrogance in all of that. I have the right politics. I have the right religion. I have the right doctrines. I hold on to the you know, correct truth. My opinions are the right way. So that's an arrogance that a lot of people struggle with. There are those who also struggle with the opposite, and they don't think anything of themselves. And, and those people need a boost of self-confidence, right? Made in the image of God, dearly loved by God, right? All that stuff to get you more confident. But for a lot of religious people, especially in hyper-religious circles, there's a lot of arrogance there. 
And then again, you throw in political arrogance and then cultural social arrogance and religious arrogance, and, and it can create problems, and it can create division. That's what was happening in Rome. The Jews had their opinions, Gentiles had their opinions, and they were fighting each other. They both believed they held on to the truth. And the Apostle Paul is saying, just settle down, just be humble. You might be right, but hold that humbly. You probably think you're right, but you're actually wrong, so be humble, right? Be humble. An inspired life is humble. And what this means is I may not always be right. Kind of looking at yourself in the mirror, and as hard as it is, hey, bud, you may not be right. You might not always be wise. You may not always be good. Maybe we need to keep the mouth a little more shut, keep those fingers off the keyboard, and spend some time learning and listening and understanding and deepening and growing, right? Be humble. Be humble. So an inspired life is sacrificial and humble. An inspired life also does something. We're not just inspired to be sacrificial or inspired to be humble, but we're inspired to action. And this is why, what I love about the cause of Christ, the movement of Jesus. It is about action. It's not just about sitting and learning and growing, which is very important, but, but as we're learning and as we're growing, as we're conforming to the image of Christ, we then go do stuff. And the cool part about the kingdom of heaven and the cool part about the church is we get to do stuff together. It's not just a solo operation, not just me and Jesus. It's a, it's a communal, familial movement, an organic movement that advances the cause of Christ. It's action, action, action. And so Romans 12 uh, goes on to say this. We are many parts of one body. We all belong to each other in his grace. God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Doing certain things well. God has given each of us gifts to do certain things well. So what is your gift? What are you good at? Just think through the Rolodex. What are you good at? You, you know there's a whole list of things in there that you're good at. What is it? Some of you are good at administration and organization and details. Know what you're good at. Marry that with a passion. Who are you passionate about? What are you passionate for? Uh, children's issues, abuse issues, addiction issues, homeless issues, poverty issues. What are you passionate for? Marry that with what you're good at. We are to be inspired to action. So if you're good at organization, administration, marry that with a passion and do something. Do something. Step up. Volunteer. Wave your hand. Right? Info at rancher.tv. I'm good at this. I'm passionate about this. That's all I have to do. I'm good at this, passionate about that. Info at rancher.tv, and we will find a spot for you. We will find a ministry. And if that one doesn't exist, we might send you an email back. Hey, how about you start leading that? Because it sounds really fun. Right? Action, action, action. Jesus, I mean, this might sound really lofty, but he calls us to change the world together. He calls us to make the world more and more like heaven. He calls us toward that. He doesn't call us to just hang on to our rear ends until we go to heaven. He calls us to change the world around us. And we do that when we're together. And we do that when we are, are doing good things with the gifts and skills and passions that God has, has given us. What are you good at? What are you passionate about? Go do it. Take a bold step. Go do it. If you're a teacher, find something you're passionate about. Start a class. Get a group together. We'll get a group together for you. Start a class and teach. If you're good at leading, you can gather people together and then do something. Gather some friends together. Hey, I've got this passion. I want to go fix this problem in the world or overseas or wherever, locally. Let's go do this together. Lead. 
I love our team of volunteer pastors. I mean, we've got dozens of, of men and women who stepped up and said, I'm going to walk a journey of training, and I'm here's where I'm good, and here's my passion, and let's get to work. The sower's ministry, one of my favorites around here. What are they good at? Sowing. And they said, let's get together and let's bless the world around us. And over the past, I don't know, decade plus, they have made thousands, tens of thousands of items to bless children in need, to recently uh, bless healthcare workers. Uh, now they're making quilts to bless teachers because teachers are on the front lines and exhausted right now, and they're making quilts for them. They are blessing the world around them because they're good at sewing and they're passionate about blessing people, and they are getting to work. And then finally, an inspired life loves. It's not only sacrificial, humble, and active, but it loves. And love just covers everything, right? Romans 12, 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. It is about love. Not love that is just kind of the pablum and platitudes of kind of Christianity, but I'm talking about friendships, time together. I'm talking about groups like Be the Bridge, where we intentionally put diverse people in groups, and, and it's, it's a challenging several months together because you're intentionally coming from different places. And over time, as you're grinding through all of your differences, but you're hearing each other's stories, what emerges is a diverse group of friends. That's a little microcosm of what the church can be. True friendship, true love, true affection. And we can turn this Christianity Today picture where we are doing our religious stuff but not mingling into this Christianity Today picture of red and blue, holding hands, intertwining in one another's lives, building friends, enriching each other, sharpening each other. That's the vision that God has for us. It's not easy. In fact, I don't know very many things more difficult than this. Getting people from diverse backgrounds, red and blue together as purple, different ethnicities, different religious backgrounds, intertwining one another's lives as friends, getting to know each other intentionally, laying down our lives for one another, humble before one another, and say, let's do something wonderful together. Let's change the world around us. Let's advance the cause of Christ. Let's pray. Our God and Father, these are our challenging times for sure and divisive times. The religious division, political division, racial divisions haven't been this heightened in decades. And it is my prayer that as your church has done in past times that have been difficult, that your church would show up very well, that the church would not sign up for further divisions and even cause further divisions but that we'd actually lay our lives down in humility, with graciousness, build a unified community that is diverse, but that loves each, other's deep, each other deeply and loves the world around us. That is the mission that Jesus called us to. That is the vision of your church. And it's gonna take every single one of us to walk that difficult journey. It will be so much easier to divide, so much easier to go into homogenous corners but that is not the vision that Jesus left us. That's not the model that he gave for us. That is not what your word says. We can only sharpen each other, sometimes through the friction of disagreements. And if we don't sharpen each other through the friction of disagreements, we will be dull and boring and completely ineffective. So I pray that we would have the courage to not only uh, tolerate a diverse community of faith, but to celebrate a diverse community of faith.
and to bring our strengths, bring our perspectives, bring our opinions, bring our skills, and bring our passions together to the same family table and figure out how to change the world around us, to be that bright, shining beacon of love that this world so desperately needs in this hour. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.